Hello, everybody. Welcome. Once again, as we continue on in our study through the Bible, we are working through the Bible together a chapter at a time. It is a 20-year project, and we are eight years in. So we're doing really good. We did all of the New Testament, and we finished the book of Genesis, and now we are in the 27th chapter of the book of Exodus. Um, doing the Bible this way helps for context. Uh, it, it helps us to, you know, get together and actually work through it and read it. It sort of keeps us, you know, um, not skipping over some of the things that we may not read if we get to them. And uh, we're actually right now in a sort of uh, series of chapters in Exodus that would be pretty easy to skip over. <laughs> Because you're like, uh, they're talking about how to make curtains, <laughs> literally. And uh, it, it may not fascinate you, but, but there's so many neat things that happen in there that it's worth uh, us looking through together. And so we're, we're working through this way. We've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground. We'll continue to press on um, in this whole study. Remember the book of Exodus? I said, you know, sort of the main things out of Exodus and I, I do, we did this with Genesis too. If you people ask you about Exodus, the Exodus, there's four sort of main concepts that I'm trying to get you to remember. Um, it's the Passover and all of the plagues and everything that led up to that concept of the Passover and what that looked like. We spent a lot of time talking about that, the crossing and the parting of the Red Sea, and and what that meant and how important that was. And and now we're talking about the tabernacle and then the law and how those things are introduced and what that means to us now and today. And um, I think it was really good that we started with the New Testament because now I can, we can shoot back up to the New Testament and we can pull some of these things in because we can see how they happen. And I will be doing that a little bit at the end of um, our little study tonight as you can see how some of these things that were being set up in the tabernacle and now in the courtyard and how they... Uh, how you can see how Jesus fulfills these things so amazingly in what he did when he came. So this chapter, uh, 27, is pretty much devoted to the measurements and specifications for furniture outside the tabernacle itself. And it also gives us a little more detail on some of the protective hangings that were to surround the holy place. Now, if you remember last week, we, you know, there was these big curtains that were made, and we talked about the artistry that was going to them. They were woven, and actually within the fabric, cherubim were woven into the pattern. Fascinating. We talked about the, the craftsmanship that would have happened, and, you know, these things would have been on some type of loom, um, and, and, you know, uh, it's amazing how that, just the math and everything it would take to figure that out, and I love how, um, uh, you God fascinates me on how he gifts certain people with talents and to see how they how they use them is amazing to me like I, I know some very talented people in lots of different ways and there are things that you know like I couldn't I couldn't weave a cherubim into a curtain <laughs> well I guess maybe if I watched enough YouTube videos <laughs> but even then probably not but how God has people, because I don't think there was a lot of call for cherubim being woven into curtain fabric up until this point, right? Uh, <laughs> and this group had been spending all their time laying bricks uh, in Egypt. You know, that's the, what they were good at. You know, that's what they've been doing for hundreds of years. So it fascinates me how God has these amazingly talented craftsmen that he has gifted who you can say something like that to, and they just go, okay. Years ago, you, you wouldn't even see it now, but 
But so we used to have just this plain wall up here, and at some and that's what we had for years. And at some point, I wanted a curtain, and and uh, and so I started researching a curtain and all that went into it. And I I offhandedly said to a guy, I got a hang. It was huge curtain. I mean, this is a big deal. I offhandedly said to a guy, I got a I got to put a curtain up. He goes, I can do that. I said, Get out of here. He goes, Yeah, no problem. And sure enough, he knew exactly how to do it. How do you know how to do this? He said, I don't know. I just know that that was something I could do. And uh, that particular guy can do, like, anything. But still, um, you can run something by him. He goes, yeah, I've done that. And he does it amazingly. Um, but he's skilled that way. And I know people like that, weaving fabrics. You know, my, my daughter-in-law and, and uh, her mom can do those things. There's, there's things, uh, you know, my wife crochets things. And I'm like, how do you do that? Because I would, but they're, they're, they're gifted and skilled in those things. So here we have these craftsmen coming together to, to build this, uh, uh, make these curtains, and also to build this furniture and these tools that they're going to craft. So we'll see that. So now um, this tabernacle is being constructed, and, and this is going to be the center of worship for the nation of Israel, the people of God. And it's, it's still got to be extremely portable. Remember, they're still on the, they're on the move. Uh, the tabernacle is going to be portable. So all this furniture has to be portable. And what's going to happen today, the primary thing, is they're going to build an altar, um, which has to be constructed in a way that it's extremely, you know, heavy duty, but it can't be made out of, so far and to this point, altars had been stone, all made out of stone. N this one has to be picked up and moved all the time. So they're going to construct it um, differently. And uh, it's going to be made of acacia wood because that wood is non-decaying. That wood is going to be is covered with bronze plate because there's going to be fire on it all the time. And um, so in, inside the tabernacle, the furniture that we've seen was made of acacia wood, but it was covered with gold because this fire was going to be around and the burning fat, the gold wouldn't be a good metal for that. Impractical to use gold of any kind, so they're going to use bronze for all of these things. And this, um, this altar is outside of the tabernacle in the courtyard. So uh, it's going to be, you can't get into the tabernacle without going past this altar. It's going to be significant. So let me read it to you. It's only 21 verses. And I want to talk about it a little bit on the other side. I'm reading out of the NIV. That's what's on the notes. Whatever translation you have is fine. They'll be close. Verse 1, build an altar of acacia wood. Three cubits high. It is to be square. Five cubits long and five cubits wide. Just a quick aside. Remember I defined a cubit for you last time we were together. And um, a cubit was basically the length of, uh, from your elbow to the point of your finger. And, and then I said, of course, now that's going to be different on everybody. If, you know, if we all came up here and did that, we would have a lot of different measurements. So they think maybe it was you know, off of Moses' arm. But the standard, uh, 17 and a half inches. And then I told you how they knew that. There's, this, there's actually this like, tunnel made, and it says it's this many cubits. And when you measure it out, it comes out exactly 17 and a half inches. Very cool. And it's big, too. It's long. So um, 17 and a half inches. So when you see that, you know, you can sort of figure out how big this stuff is. So this is seven and a half feet-ish by something. Make a, uh, make a horn at each of the four corners so that the horns and the altar are of one piece and overlay the altar with bronze. Make all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat, forks, and fire pans. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it's halfway up the altar. Make poles of acacia wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the ring so they'll be on two sides of the altar when it's carried. 
make the altar hollow out of boards. It's to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a hundred cubits long. It's to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the post. The north side shall be a hundred cubits long and it's to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the post. The west end of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases. On the east end toward the sunrise the courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Curtains 15 cubits long to be on one side of the entrance with three posts and three paces and curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the other side with three posts and three bases. So now what you're seeing is this four-sided courtyard, but one of the sides has an entrance that's uh, 20 cubits because it's the curtains only go in 15 cubits on each side, and it's 50 on the other side. So kind of getting in your mind, here's this thing. It's 100 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet, but on the side facing the sunrise, there's an entrance. It's the only entrance into the courtyard, and the tabernacle's in there. For the entrance to the courtyard, provide a curtain 20 cubits long, a blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer with four posts and four bases. So this opening now is going to have a special curtain, all right? All the posts around the courtyard are to have silver bands and hooks and bronze bases. The courtyard shall be 100 cubits long and 50 cubits wide, with curtains of finely twisted linen, five cubits high, and with bronze bases. All the other articles used in the service of the tabernacle, whatever their function, including all the tent pegs for it, and those for the courtyard are to be of bronze. Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting, outside the curtain that is in front of the testimony, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So some neat stuff is happening here, even if it maybe doesn't sound so neat, but uh, it's really neat stuff. Um, in the first eight verses, so the description moves us from sort of the, the tense entrance screen uh, that we've been reading about to this bronze altar that's going to stand in the courtyard. It's going to stand in the middle of the courtyard, halfway between the entrance screen uh, of, of the tent of meeting and the entrance screen of the larger tabernacle. So um, it's going to be in the middle of this courtyard. This courtyard is surrounded by curtain, basically, but it's, it's a, like a fence type. And then inside is the, the tabernacle that we talked about. And this altar is going to be between the entrance and the tabernacle. Uh, Worshippers brought the, the burnt offerings and sacrifices in which uh, animals were going to be cleanly slaughtered for, um, for their meat to this altar. So this is pretty interesting. You know, there's some strict raw laws about the meat not having blood in it when it's eaten, right? We'll get more of those as we get into Leviticus. So um, the altar was uh, how the meat was distributed. Um, uh, so the what belonged to the Lord was the blood and the fat. The blood represented life. The fat represented abundant provision. The meat was then distributed back, most of it, to the people um, uh, for their consumption. That's where the source of clean meat was. Because unlike the pagan gods, our God doesn't need to be fed. <laughs> you know, a lot of pagan ritual, the sacrifices were offered, and they were, it was like they were feeding God these things. But God didn't need that. This was a source of 
them knowing where everything came from, and it was also going to have a lot to do with um, the way they dealt with sin in the Levitical system. And, and so it, was, it happened through this, these offerings, these sacrifices, and things that were offered to the Lord. And then the, but the meat was then often distributed to priests, back to the people. However, um, if the meat was given as an offering, the, like I said, the blood and the fat was the Lord's, um, and the priests would probably take some of it, it would back, back to the people, and they would eat it there, and, and it would be a big thanks, thanksgiving sort of praise thing that happened with the Lord and, and thankful for his provision. So um, every animal belonged to the Lord, and it was acknowledged this way uh, at the altar. At the altar, um, they were going to frame the altar with boards so that the center was hollow from top to bottom, light enough to carry. Um, and, and so the, the, the fire and everything would happen inside of it. Um, it was big enough to handle, you know, a cow or a bull, whatever was coming in the process, sort of seven and a half feet by four and a half feet. It would be with bronze and everything. Uh, related to it was also going to be bronze utensils, pots, things to remove the ashes, ashes, shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks that they would take for the meat, and all the fire pans. Everything would be bronze in the process. Uh, this altar was portable, just like everything that was happening in the tabernacle. Remember, it was all designed to be put up and taken down, moved, put back up again. So when they're putting posts in and everything, you hear them talking about build these bases. So the, they weren't putting the posts in the ground. These, these posts would go with bases. So when it was time to go, everything would be picked up, packed up carefully. Out they'd go. Most of them, you know, had these poles that they inserted into them so they wouldn't actually touch these items. They would just be carrying on the poles. Um, there's a time in Israel's history when uh, the ark is, um, has been taken off, captured, uh, and the, the people where it's at is everything's dying and everything. So they don't want it anymore. And they, they figure out they stick it on a cart and move it back into Israel. And, uh, and you know, at some point David goes to get it. And he builds a new cart and sticks it on there. You remember the story? And, and they're going around a corner and Uzzah sticks his hand up to steady it. And he's immediately killed. Uh, and you're, you're like, well, that doesn't seem right. He was just trying to hold the ark. And they're not sure what happens. And, and so they actually take the ark and they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. I love this story. So Obed-Edom just kind of hanging out. All of a sudden, here's the ark. If you touch it, you die. <laughs> Here, we're going to put this in your house. How oh, cool. Uh, you know, you think, kids, now listen. I mean it when I say don't touch this. <laughs> There's no coming back from this, okay? <laughs> I'd like to hear the conversation. But Obed-Edom, you know, his whole house is blessed. And when David hears it, he goes, how come his whole house is blessed? And, and then he realizes they hadn't approached the ark properly. And there was a whole way of doing it with these poles and with the Levites. And they had to bow down as they went in. And it was made at such a height where they came in in reverence. And they picked it up on a pole and never touched it and moved it. And when they did that, they were able to bring the ark in. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. But all this furniture is being built in a way so that it can be transported uh, in an appropriate and, and holy manner. Remember, Lord, the Lord's going to dwell here in that holy of holies. The, it's a significant deal. You know, they... they'd encountered God along the way, and, and uh, some of them had walked with him, but now he was going to dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. Huge, n nothing had ever happened like it. And so these were the preparations. So um, then in the next chunk of verses 9 through 21, um, it talks about this courtyard, and I kind of kept interrupting myself to describe it, um, where the altar would be, uh, the uh, space there for presenting animals for slaughter, um, to or, you know, the offering to the Lord, um, because not only would they be offering, they'd also be a, it was the right way to get meat 
um, taken care of in a, in a holy manner. Um, the curtains I talked about, on the outside fence sort of curtains, the linen wasn't dyed. So it would have been sort of an off-white color. And then, you know, then that shocking blue, royal blue at the entrance and also contrasted on the, on the, the, as you went inside into the tent, the tabernacle, the parts you were allowed into. Um, so a f- uh, it was seven and a half feet high, this fabric fence kind of on these poles. And you can think about a seven and a half foot fence, but you would see the tabernacle rising above it. But it would be neat, you know, in the camp for them to have it. The entrance faced east toward the sunrise and uh, at dead center of that 150-foot side, right? And uh, posts along the way, fancy sort of curtain there at the entrance, curtain uh, into this courtyard. And uh, last couple of verses that returns the attention back to the children of Israel, the tent of meeting, the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments, and the people were to present to the priest the, the purest olive oil they could for the lamps, which were to be kept lit from evening till morning, continually. And uh, that light would be a, a sign of the presence of God among them, even through the night. So um, that that's, um, still happens, you know, historically church, often in, in places and had been in church history, these lights would be kept lit through the night um, as a sign of the presence of the Lord among them. It was a lasting ordinance, and for the Israelites, that one, keeping those things lit, and uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover and the Sabbath, as we talked about, were also given to them as lasting ordinances. So here's kind of the picture uh, of what's happening. When a worshiper came to the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice, the, the first thing he would, he would come up to this white linen fence that surrounded uh, the tabernacle and created this courtyard where the priest would be uh, at work. And um, they would come into this entrance with the sacrifice they were going to offer. The priest would meet them there, and he would examine the sacrifice to make sure it was acceptable. You, you, you couldn't offer something that wasn't acceptable to the Lord. You couldn't, like, pick up something diseased or old or dying. You, you brought your best to the Lord. And, and so the priest would make sure that that was taking place. Um, there's only one way in, only one entrance. And so... Uh, so there's only one way to get to the altar of God. And so when God puts up a fence and assigns a way in, um, there's something significant in that. And, and so I, I want you to think in the New Testament about how that's significant. And Jesus claims to be the only way in. The only door, the gate, uh, he makes all those things. He says it's only through me. He's the only way to God. Uh, and um, it's a picture of what's happening here. There's only one way in to that altar where you needed to be, and um, still true today. Still in one way, and it's Jesus, um, you know, today, and we know that scripturally. But, uh, you know, we live in a culture where people like to think there's lots of ways in, and um, it's just it's the one way. And he made it like that. It was a picture of what was happening, and that, that picture still exists. The brazen altar, this, uh, this bronze altar, um, that that's, was in the center there of the courtyard. Um, and it was, the, it was very the, kind of the center of the whole Levitical system that we're going to be talking about. Um, there was a fire that burned continually while it was there, and um, the daily sacrifice of the people would be renewed every morning. And so it was to this altar that the sinner came with his sacrifice. And when um, the, the Hebrew uh, brought his offering to the altar, he would lay his hands on 
the animal um, before killing it, identifying himself with the animal. Uh, and so he would lay hands on whatever this animal was. And then he would offer that animal as a blood sacrifice in his own place. So, so that was significant. That's the Levitical system uh, in what would happen. And um, I'll talk more about it in a second. But I, the, the, I also, the, the position of the altar was, was, see, it was just outside the entrance to the court of the tabernacle. And what that means is that the beginning of fellowship between God and man requires dealing with sin. It's very significant you see that. That's, that was all being represented there. So before you relationship with God can take place, sin has to be dealt with. With the Israelites, it was a, sacrifice, a system of sacrifice and sin offerings. So in that sacrificial system, what they understood was uh, a man understood that he had, he had in effect forfeited his life because of sin. And life was returned to him by the forfeiture of the life in the animal he brought. That was what was taking place. That's why they did it. They knew that their sin had, had forfeited their life, that it separated them from God. And the process in Levitical system was when they offered an animal, uh, an innocent animal, by the way, who had nothing to do with this whole situation, um, what would happen was that that whole process restored life into the Israelite. And, and so the other thing you need to know, this would have been a... a, a, a Unlike inside the tabernacle, this courtyard would be a horrific, messy, horrible place. Um, it would be a place of bloodshed and death. Um, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, when we read it, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And, and so the way into the presence of God started at this altar where innocent victims died for guilty sinners. This is painting another picture. That, that I'm, I hope you're connecting with, even though I'm saying it. It's a, it's a picture of what happened at the cross. And, and the cross, as much as we clean it up for church, um, was a horrific, horrible, terrible event. Um, the, the crucifixion was like the cruelest thing they had ever invented for dying because it was slow and torturous, and you, you basically suffocated. And they, the way that they nailed you to the cross, you couldn't, your lungs were filling with fluid, and you couldn't, every time you pulled yourself up, it reinforced the pain that you were feeling in your legs and hands. So think about it. Every time you pulled up for breath, pain would shoot through you everywhere. And it, and it took days, usually, for people to die. Um, they, they, and they would let them sit there for several days, slowly suffocating in this torturous way. Um, Jesus, if you remember, he, he died on a schedule, his own. So, um, when Jesus said it was time to die, it was time to die. He died. He gave it up. Jesus was in, people forget, but he was in control of that situation as difficult as it was. He willingly went to it, but he said, it's, now's the time. He went and did it, and he paid for it, and he died, and he rose. He, he, he was in those things. So while it was, you know, um, uh, parts of it, you know, he surrendered to, you need to know that he still, he made all that happen because his death, you know, it only took those hours, still long enough. Um, but, but. You know, when, when you think about that, we never want to take that lightly. It was a picture of, of all that they were doing there in the Levitical system, this innocent paying for the price of the guilty with the shedding of blood and with death. And, and it's a picture of what would happen for us at the cross. And so um, because of that, now there's, there's no more God-ordained altars for us um, because the, the death of Jesus took care of the sin problem once and for all. He's in, like the only altar that we need. 
and, and uh, because he's already taken care of it for all of us. So no more sacrifices can be or should be offered because the ultimate sacrifice has been paid. And so it doesn't need to be done anymore. So like when we do communion, um, what we're doing is we're, it's a reminder of the sacrifice, not a repeat of the sacrifice. It's just a, hey, he's done this, and that's why he's do this in remembrance of me. He's going to do it once and for all and take care of the sin problem. Um, for all of us who, who choose to come to him and know him, he pays for our sin. He also paid for everybody's sin, but, but it's, as we come and apply that, what he's done to our lives, that we find life and are reconciled back to God. And so that's what happens there at the cross, and it's all this picture of, of taking place as this system is put in place. So all of it, all of the political system is pointing at Jesus as the one who would ultimately take care of all of it, and, and they could make those connections through this bronze altar. was the only way to the tabernacle. You had to, sin had to be dealt with to get to God, and it still does. And, uh, and now it's dealt with in Jesus, and, and so, but we have a picture of this happening, and uh, that's what's going on. So that's enough for today. Um, lots of neat stuff. Read through it, and, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up there next week. If you're watching my video, thank you for doing that. Love for you to visit when you can. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a place there for prayer. We will pray for you if you need it, and uh, we will see you 